The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So we are in John chapter 5. We're going to read 36 through 47. Um, and you're going, well, that leaves a few empty spaces between there and last week. Don't worry, we'll cover those, but I'm not going to read all of those uh, for time. But we will read John chapter 5, verses 36 through 47. When you're there, if you are able, I ask you to stand out of respect for God's word. John chapter 5, starting with verse 36. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. What? There there is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent messengers to John, and he has testified to the truth, but the testimony I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. Hmm. He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, He has testified of me. You you have neither heard His voice at any time or seen His form. You do not have His words abiding in you, for you do not believe Him whom He sent. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these testify of me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his name or his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. That's powerful. Do not think that I will excuse you, or excuse me, that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if Moses, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? You may be seated. Now, I'm going to be direct with you. There is so much meat here. If I miss a point that you think's weighty enough to bring up, forgive me, because if I brought up all the wonderful things, all the theology, and all of its application that we see just in this, we could be here a long time. My other option is to preach one or two verses at a time each week. Okay? But I know people tend to grow weary of that same thing. 
Okay, so let me lay the groundwork again of where we are here in John. Jesus has healed the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. When he heals the guy, he tells the guy, take up your bed, all right? The Jews, that would be scribes and Pharisees, get upset at him because it's the Sabbath, and he told the guy to pick up his bed, which is work. Then Jesus said, this is verse 17, my father is working until now, and I am working on the Sabbath. Anyway, they get upset at him and want to kill him because he's made himself equal with God, being the son of, calling himself the son of God. Then Jesus starts this discourse. This is the longest discourse in all the Gospels where Jesus defends his sonship, his authority, his deity, his oneness with the Father, his mission. It's it's the longest section where Jesus talks about that in all the Gospels. Verse 19, he reminds, it says this, Truly, truly, the Son, notice the third person, can do nothing of himself. So he's speaking of himself in the third person here. And we talked about those double amens, the truly, truly, okay, that Jesus used in this, that he only does what he sees the Father do. What he does parallels or emulates the Father's actions. And since the Father's actions reflected from his nature, he's also showing God's nature. The Father shows him these things to do because the Father loves him. That's verse 20. And the Father's going to show him even greater things than these Jews have seen so far. Then he shifts to something that sort of throws us off. We talked about it last week. He says that the Father's given the authority to judge to the Son. The Father's not going to do the judging. The Son's going to do that. That comes really into play into this week's section. He says the reason he gives that this judgment to the Son is so you would honor the Son like you honor the Father. That's verse 23. Then he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Then he talks about the spiritually dead. Those, a time is coming and now is where the dead will hear and live. We talked about that, the spiritually dead. Okay, And that the Son then gives this life to whoever he wishes. Jesus repeats the fact that the authority to judge has been given to the Son. Then he talks about a future resurrection That people either resurrect to judgment or to life. That puts us at verse 30. The reason I I refresh like that is because I don't want to take Jesus out of context. Okay, This is in the news broadcast where they do that all the time. He repeats, now remember, the Son, third person, can do nothing unless. He shifts here. Now, in case you didn't get, he's talking about himself. He shifts to the first person. I can do nothing. On my own, verse 30. As I hear, I judge. Here he's still on that idea of judgment. Okay. My judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but of him who sent me. So he now clearly identifies himself then as the son. Now, isn't this is what they're mad at him about to begin with? So he says, but he doesn't do it of his own or of himself is a more direct um, literal translation. Not on his own initiative. He, he does because he and the Father is, are one. They are not separated. They are distinct, but not separate. Okay, He does exactly what he sees. He emulates the Father. And he says, and I see 
and hear and judge justly. Well, we already know what he talks about what he sees and hears. That is what the Father says and does. Okay? The reason he judges justly, he says, because I do not seek my own will but him who sent me. When I judge, I judge according to the Father. And that makes it just. What I mean just? Morally, legally, right, deserving, I guess is the way to put that. It's not vengeance. It's not malicious. Okay, When a judge sits in his seat or her seat and passes judgment and gives sentence to a criminal, it's not personal vengeance. It's not... It's not that's the law. He's giving justice. What is intriguing to me here is what is he judging? What is he talking about here? He is judging the accusation of the Pharisees and scribes. Here's their accusation. You have committed blasphemy by making yourself equal with God. He sets out now, by the way, and sets up court right here. And he literally judges their statement, their accusation, and calls three witnesses. Okay? He really does. You'll, you'll see it in a moment. Okay? Now, if he wins the argument, if he proves what he says is true, that he is equal with God, that makes the Pharisees guilty of bearing false witness. That is the breaking of the ninth commandment. Okay? And that's chapter 20 of Exodus. In Deuteronomy 19, it tells us that if, if somebody brings false accusation against someone and that's proven, that person who brought that false accusation comes under the punishment that that crime would have brought. Now, hang on. They want to kill Jesus because they say he's blasphemous. If Jesus here can prove what he says is true, their accusation is false, therefore the death comes on them. Won't you understand where Jesus is going here? The righteous, pious, self-pious, self-righteous, Jesus himself is going to show you're the one that's breaking the law, not me. Matter of fact, not just some law, but actually one of the commandments of God. And the big ten, as we might call them. By the way, Proverbs 6 and 19 says that's something God hates. God hates those who bear false witness. Now, did you catch this? It doesn't say... I hate false witness. I hate those who bear false. Those are people. But God loves everyone. Then you have a problem with Scripture. At least in Proverbs to start with, there's others. Then he says something that's very strange to my ears. He who is the amen, who is the truth, says, if I alone testify about myself, this is verse 31, I, my testimony is not true. Well, wait a minute. How can the truth, the person who is it, not be true? Well, if you have a New American Standard Bible, by the way, and, it, and you got one with the good footnotes in it, it'll actually have a footnote there. It's been true. That which is admissible as legal evidence. Jesus says, if I testify myself, my testimony is not good in court. Why is that? Because he jumps back to the writings of Moses. Okay? I know, it's hard to hear. So what? Well, because the law in Deuteronomy 17 tells us 
and requires that anybody that's going to be convicted of a capital crime must be done so by at least two or three witnesses. So this is what he says, I recognize the Old Testament law. My own testimony don't count because that's only one. I need to have more than one to prove my... And he's also saying to them, you have to have more than one to prove your point. Okay? And this is where he sets out to do this. I want you to know, though, that Jesus also applies this particular concept, truth, law, to church discipline. In Matthew 18, when Jesus is talking about when there's sin among the brethren, how do you deal with it? You've got to have witnesses. Two to three witnesses. He actually quotes this in that. Paul addresses it in in 2 Corinthians. He says the same thing in the church. If you're going to bring accusation, and there's going to, you need two or three witnesses. He brings it into accusations against a leader in the church, an elder in the church, in, in 1 Timothy 5, and says you have to have two to three witnesses. None of this, well, in private, this happened. I'm sorry, that don't count in court, not in that court. I want you to understand, Jesus brings this Old Testament judicial legal law into the New Testament and applies it to the church. Paul grabs it, realizes what Jesus is, and applies it to the church. At the end of this message, I'll show you how Jesus applies it again later. So Jesus now gets to call his witnesses. But you want to understand that he says in verse 32, there is another who testifies about me. And I know that the testimony which he gives is true. There is another witness that can verify that I am equal with God. But I'll save him for last. He goes through a progression of witnesses, each witness being better, more credible, a higher proof of what Jesus is saying. He starts here, and this one he just speaks about here. We all know who that is, right? The Father. He, he's, he's holding that to the end. So each time he brings witness one, okay. Uh, but let me, let me go to an even more authoritative witness, and then let me take you to an uh, even more authoritative witness. First witness, it tells us, is John the Baptist. He actually says, you know, you guys, John, and he testified to the truth. How did he do that? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How does that testify that he's God? Because only God can forgive sins. So when he declared to the audience, and and we know that these Jews were there, these Jews as a general, I don't know if these specific ones, when he declared, declared the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he's declaring that Lamb to be God. Because he's the only one that can remove sin. Then Jesus says this, but I don't, I don't um, hinge what I'm saying on strictly human testimony. But I say it for you guys here, because when John was here, you sort of guys sort of listened to him. Okay, He, he was a lamp. He was not the light. I find that intriguing, because in chapter 1, remember, there was this one John that came before. He was... The, he was not the light. Jesus here calls him the lamp that was burning, past tense. They're not sure whether John's either actually dead at this time 
or at least in prison. We know that. Okay. So he says, you guys sort of listen to him a little bit, so I throw that one out in front of you. Because he said, I'm the one that forgives sins and is therefore God. Then he calls upon his second witness, better than the first. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. Let me go to the next level. Four, let me explain. I do the works of the Father. The Father sets the agenda, and I do that. He's calling him father again, so that's making them even more upset. All right? Uh, he's, he's sort of restating the thing that he said it got him to become. Remember, the father is working and I am working. You call yourself equal with God. He's basically saying, listen, the father's working and I do his work. I do the work of the father. Those works testify about me. So in this case, our testimony is not a person, it's an event. It's, it's things they see him doing that speak, if I could say it like that. What do they speak of? What do they prove? Listen to what Jesus says. That the Father has sent me. That's what they prove. The works here is not Jesus' point. His point, here's the witness that the Father has sent me. That's witness number two. Okay? The Father has sent me. Then witness three. God, the Father. And the Father who sent me, He has testified of me. Past tense. Did you notice that? Has testified. When, when, when did He do that? At His baptism. A voice comes down from heaven. This is my Son. Oh! So, so wait a minute. If you're claiming blasphemy on me for claiming to be his son, then you've you got to charge God with the same thing. He's the ultimate authoritative witness. He's the one who said, I'm, if, if you, 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 know, you don't have to believe me, I know that, because a lot of people come along and say, you know, I'm special. And there's been a lot of people come along and they say they're God, or a God, or God's representative, or whatever it is. Okay, But God himself as a voice from heaven declared it so. You don't have to just accept it on my account. I know they have to have more witnesses. Let me give them to you. And this is what he responds to. Now, now you've, here's these witnesses, particularly God the Father. You have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. Now, he combines something that he knows they're going to agree with, that no one's seen his form. And says, and you haven't heard it. You haven't heard him either. Well, everybody can say, I haven't seen his form, but I'm going to let you know, you haven't heard him at all. Okay? How does Jesus know that they haven't heard him? Okay? Because he goes on to say, because the love of him, of God, isn't in you. That's how I know you haven't heard him. Because if you heard him, the love of God would be in you. That's the implication. Okay? It's not dwelling or abiding in you because you didn't believe Jesus, and if you believe Jesus, that shows the love of God's in you. You didn't believe me, so love of God's not in you. It reminds me of when back in chapter 3 in verse 11. Here's another one of those double amens. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, notice this, we speak of what 
we know and testify of what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. Wait a minute, why is Jesus using the plural? Okay? But back then he says, you don't, you don't believe our testimony. You're not listening. That's what he's saying here. You didn't believe it in chapter 3, if I could say it like that. And you're not hearing it now. His indictment of these pious people continues. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yeah, I'm not sure I have a problem with that to start with. But we have to think about this a minute. It is these, the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament. These testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you have life. It's not the book itself. It's who the book is written about. That's the one who gives... Did, wait a minute, he just said that earlier. It's, the Son gives life to who He wills. It, it's, not, it's not just that this is a book, that the book is about Him, and He's the one that brings life. That's what we learn in the book, that He is the one, the source of life. What I find it intriguing is, is they, they, He does call upon the old... They see it as an authoritative witness, Scripture. That's going to be authoritative witness to these folks, and to me as well. But they search, inquire, explore, because in them you think you have life. What does he mean by that? They thought when they read the Bible, the Old Testament, with its rules and regulations, that's what brought life, is following the rules. If you follow all the rules, that brings life. Problem is, nobody follows those rules. If you're here on Wednesday nights in Galatians, we're just talking about this, where, where these Judaizers, these Jews have showed up, actually followed the Apostle Paul around, okay, in the, in the region called Galatia, follows him around trying to convince people that you got to do these works in the Old Testament to have life, to be reborn, okay? These people think that when they, you think you have life in them, in what way? If you do exactly that, you have life. But the problem is, that puts life in you. That makes you the one who determines that. But he already said, it's the will of the Son that determines that, not you. Okay? They have long forgotten that the Scripture is the self-revelation of God. Okay? Scripture was given by God to reveal to us, the reader, who he is and how his kingdom works. That, so you hear Jesus. Uh, the kingdom of God is like, he's trying to show us how God's kingdom works because we tend to judge everything works by the way we perceive it in the world. And Jesus gives these natural parables often to show you how the kingdom works, where the last is first, the servant is the greatest, those kind of things that throws our world upside down. Okay? In Hebrews 1 and 3, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, of His nature. And you heard me sort of say this, kid. People ask, how is Jesus the Word? Well, the Word is the revelation of who God is, and Jesus is the revelation of who God is. The Word tells us how God's kingdom operates. Jesus tells us how God, why? Because He's God Himself in flesh. 
Watch him, and you see the word. Both reveal who God is. Jesus isn't the words on this page. This is, this is ink on paper. Okay? He is the word, and this, he does the same thing the word does. The word comes to tell you about God. Jesus comes to tell you about God. Here's our problem. We are, tend to be like those religious folks who think the Bible's written about us. It tells me how to get saved. I hate to tell you, unless you discover in this book who God is, you don't know you need saved. Until you understand the character and the nature, the perfect holiness, the perfect righteousness, and so on of God, yeah, it tells you who God is and how he works. That works part, that's the salvation plan. That's redemption plan. How does he work? Some people have a problem with substitutionary atonement, but they don't get it. It's not a human kingdom that determines, it's God kingdom that determines that rule. And he lays it down all the way back in the Old Testament to get you get the picture, because I know you people are going to be slow, so I'm going to give you four or 5,000 years to figure this. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Even though in the Old Testament, it was a lamb or a goat or a bull or, or a turtle dove or what, you know, those things don't cleanse you. He's trying to teach us how his kingdom works. So Jesus is saying, God sends his word. You think it's the, the, the following the rules that brings life. You don't understand the book is really about him, not his rules. His rules tell you something about him. And that's what matters. I've come, Jesus, to show up to show you how that works out in the practical. He's going to come live it and keep all the law. But you're missing it. It's not the law. It's Jesus. Okay? Therefore, anyone who doesn't believe his words doesn't know God. That's what he says. You don't have life then. This is why Jesus says, you are unwilling to come to me so that you have life. When you read the book, you're supposed to go, oh, that takes me somewhere. That, that brings me somewhere, that brings you to Christ. If it doesn't bring you to Christ, you're looking at it wrong. And I've, always, I've said this to many of you who have been around you know, a while, have heard this. If you don't understand Old Testament, put Jesus in the middle of it, and that will bring clarity to it. You'll see that in a minute. But I know, well, I jumped too far ahead of myself, I'm sorry. I do find it... Um, Interesting that these religious, pious fellows recognize that the Old Testament scriptures, they didn't figure out, even though they see Moses, they know it's about, uh, I'm going to stop. Who wrote the Pentateuch? Pentateuch, not five different guys. What's called the documentary theory. Jesus says Moses wrote it, so I don't care what your theory is about who wrote it. Jesus is right, you're wrong. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.